Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. The big headline today, uh, the NFL moving games around due to the COVID-19 situations with Washington, with Cleveland, and with LA and the Rams. All three of those teams are adding more players to their COVID-19 list as of today. Uh, Later in the show, we will get into Titans and Steelers. This is OutKick 360 across the OutKick network. We say happy Friday to you and yours and happy holidays to everyone listening and watching across the network today. Shout out to Jonathan Moulton, Jakob Swanson, the chairman of the board, David Reed, and Dylan Taylor, our great production assistant today. Um, Guys, last night, Chiefs and Chargers lives up to the billing. What a fantastic second half. What a great fourth quarter. Back and forth, fast break offense for the Chiefs. Uh, They found the connection with Kelsey. Kelsey has a career night. Tyreek Hill has over 150 yards receiving as well with Patrick Mahomes going crazy. Uh, it was his first 100-yard uh, passing performance in the fourth quarter since week one. It had been a while since Mahomes just turned it on in the fourth quarter. He did last night, and the Chargers lose in overtime and don't have the opportunity to touch the football because the Chiefs uh, knocked them out with a touchdown pass and run, a great run by Travis Kelsey. Well, and it's good to see uh, uh, Donald Parham. I, I think he's being released from the hospital right now with a concussion. That was a um, disastrous set of events early after a terrific start. 70-yard return to start the game. couple of big runs by Austin Eckler. They get down around the goal line, and you've got Williams getting hurt on the big hit at the goal line that looked like a, that was a fumble recovered mm-hmm. by the Chargers. Then you had the Parham scary injury. Um Weird moment from Joe Buck. Terrible. Where he says, I mean, he's clearly having issues with his hands after having the concussion when he's on the stretcher. He's and like they convulsing. said, Yeah, and he said, uh, keep in mind it's cold here. So he could be shivering. I immediately looked up the temperature. Joe Buck, it was fifty one degrees there, man. Well, man and, I mean, that's not man someone up. shivering. I just don't He's got the same monitor angle that we all had. I just just don't it's comment like on an it. Intentional. He says that we're not gonna speculate. Then he speculates. Then he says it's cold. Sounds like a dumb NFL-ish cover-up for head trauma. It's just, it, it was just. It was I, I think I don't know that it was. He was even thinking I'm covering something up. It was just a dumb comment. Pro Football Doc tweeted out after that. He was like, "It's clearly not because of the cold. This is a classic posturing. Talking about the posture of the player after a concussion because he falls and hits his head on the turf." And the, the camera, you know, the, the eye in the sky, sky cam, zoomed in on him. Um, and you could see his eyes were just rolling in the back of his head. He was out cold. He was out. And um, the, the, uh, some people took offense to the camera getting right in his face when he was clearly out in that moment. And I don't know if it was, uh, like you said, an eye in the sky camera. It looked to me like someone kind of came right over in No, in that was front a sky cam that zoomed in on him. That just came down From low? Above. Well, you Wh- get where do you guys fall on that? I think you is get that, is there that until you, We had this with Eric. They cut away from the, it when the they World saw it. The World Cup player but... that had the heart attack on the field. 
you go and see. Then once you realize how bad it is, yeah, you, you, you pay yeah. some respect and you pull back. But going and seeing is the job of the. I see. Of the I thought they stayed now. on it a while. I, I thought it was. Oh, uh, I, didn't I think thought so. it was abnormal in that I, I could see his face being out for too long before they cut away. Yeah, but you know to but look I also at it. Don't, you, in real in the in the live feed, they're looking for the reaction of the player who just dropped the touchdown. Yeah, but I also don't uh again, I, I don't it doesn't offend me. I don't have a problem with it because if you're a reporter and I mean when you're filming a game, you're kind of reporting on the action. Yeah. The job is to get in there and see it. See as much as you can. So, I'm not one that's ever going to fault a network or someone doing it. a game to go, yeah. you know, go to capture it. I think people to film are prone it and not to go overreact back to, it. To, to that. Yeah, I, I didn't. I, again, I didn't have a, a, a big problem with that. The only thing I thought was odd was uh, Joe Buck. I mean, look, you're, you talk long enough, you're going to have some regrettable moments. And I think Joe Buck is very good uh, and very smart with his calls of games. I thought that was a bad moment for him, and and just sounded dumb in, in that instance when he was talking about the cold causing him to shiver as yeah. he's being carted off the field was was very odd of of, of Joe Buck. Uh, the game itself, I, I've been on this for a while. Uh, prove me wrong that the Chiefs aren't the team to beat in the AFC. Until proven otherwise, they have come alive. Defense has come alive. They found a way last night. I'm not still not quite certain how. That Travis Kelsey game-winning touchdown in overtime, that was awful defense. Yeah. Chargers, that, was, that was an exhausted defense is what that Chargers was. Chargers blew this game. Jared Cook had a touchdown in his hands. This is the second time in a couple of weeks we see it was a two-point conversion for, for the Ravens that uh, that that uh, uh, it was, was it Mark Andrews who it couldn't Andrews. pull it in. Yeah. And here, Jared Cook couldn't pull it in. This one seemed even easier to me. Oh, it was um, right there. And yeah. it just can't get it in, and it's crucial. Um but here's the thing. I, I have two sides to this fourth down thing for the Chargers. And I don't have a real problem with Staley calling for these because, and this is from The Athletic, they don't beat the Chiefs in week three if Staley doesn't go for it on two fourth and nine attempts in the fourth quarter. They probably don't beat the Raiders in week four if Staley doesn't go for it on a fourth and two in the fourth quarter that set up a touchdown. They don't beat the Browns in week five if Staley doesn't go for it and convert three fourth downs in the second halves. They were converting fourth downs at outrageous rate early in the season. They've fallen back to earth on a regression to the mean. So I don't have a problem with him going for it. I do have a problem with, and Hutton, you've been a proponent of this. I, I wonder if you'll agree with me mm -hmm. here, with, this, with sticking with saying you can't beat Kansas City kicking field goals because this is not the same Kansas City. And last night, you only had to outscore 28 to beat them. And a field goal, in fact, along the way that would have gotten you to, to just over 28 would have beaten them. You don't have to match them in the 40s anymore right now to beat the Chiefs. It's not the same thing. So I'm, I know I'm speaking out of both sides there. I don't, I don't, I'm not against Staley sticking with the way he's gone all season. He's been consistent but in this game, yes, you could have kicked a field goal somewhere along the way while you're trying, trying to stay toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Chiefs because the Chiefs aren't pressing 50 anymore. They're under 30. I think when you um, – I was watching a clip of, I think it was Phil Sims and Boomer Esiason and maybe Bill Cower talking about it. And you get some of these uh, – the older players, coaches talking about it. They can be a little bit too basic – 
talking about, you know, oh, well, can analytics go and do the post-game interview when it goes wrong? And analytics this, and they try to personify analytics, and it, I think it makes it a little too simplistic. But I'll also say, you know, some things that you've done for years and forever, like, I don't know, kicking a field goal from the five on fourth and goal from the five, there's a reason coaches have done that for years. I thought before and half you can, you can overthink it. Opening the game, going fourth and five after the two plays, after the, the play before where your player's injured, kick the field goal. I mean, I'm not, you know, you don't know the guy's going to get injured on the fourth down play like that, but I'm just saying it went south quickly. Take your points. You had a great special teams play. It's the first drive of the game. There's a reason 99.8% of coaches throughout history would kick the field goal there. It's because they're right. And it's not right to go for it on fourth down in that situation. But you're seeing more and more a higher percentage of fourth down calls this year uh, and and last year. And we detail that. I can pull those stats over the weekend, Paul. We can get back into this next week on on the success to fail rate this year compared to years past. But they're they're having a higher success rate. Getting better. And, you know, the Fox postgame show opens up by saying, oh, you know, analytics, uh, you know, would love to hear those supporters now or some kind of quote like that. And I'm thinking – Analytics is the reason the Chargers are in position exactly. to win their division. So, so you can't have it both ways. You can't wait for analytics not to go in a team's favor when they go for it. And because they don't execute on a fourth down, that's the analytics fault. The, the, the issue is the execution because they did this. They were going for fourth down, not all the time in the first half against Kansas City back in week three. They actually punted, believe it or not, on a couple of possessions. But the Chargers keep the foot on the gas. That's Staley's mentality. I don't think he's overzealous by doing it. And I do think with this Chiefs team uh, and knowing that this Chargers defense isn't all that great, he's got to get seven and not three. Here's here's the one that bothered me. See, I'm foolish enough to think that Justin Herbert's the reason they are where they are, not analytics. Yeah, but they're going for well, their kicking field goals. They're keeping Justin Hubbard on the field. Down. Yeah, and they win last night if they kick a field goal in the first drive. Well, here's, here's the one. In first place. I'm just saying it's not. They also I'm, win if they don't I'm turn not, it over in the fourth quarter. I'm not quarter. against his analytical approach. I'm not against him going for it on, on fourth downs. Many times he does. I also think there are times where it has been done a certain way for that many years, that many times, because it's the right thing to do. And I think fourth and goal from the five in that moment it's the right thing to take points on the opening drive of the game. Here's the one that bothers me, the one before the half, because to me, it's a two-pronged thing. You go for it on fourth down. If you don't get it, you've got them pinned deep. Well, if it's just before the half, there's no benefit in field position where you're leaving them pinned deep, and then if you stop them on a three and out, you get the ball back close to the 50, and you've flipped the field position. If you don't get it before the half, it's a downer for your team, You've gotten zero points. There's no field position benefit, all of that. So the one before the half, I take a field goal there because I get points. I go into halftime having expanded my lead. We're feeling good about ourselves and all of that. I think they were also getting the ball back. So you've got a chance there to get 10 points without Kansas City touching the ball. I'm not positive they were getting the ball back. But that's the one where you don't get the other side. Yeah, to begin the third third quarter. Oh, the Chiefs got the football. Okay. But uh, you don't get the other side. The other benefit is, okay, if we don't get it, the field position's really in our favor. We've got them playing out of our end zone. I think Staley is, is of the right mind here against Kansas City to know that it, with those two offenses and those two quarterbacks, you're, it's coming down to who has the football last. And that's what happened last night. 
I mean, they but, go back and forth. But had serve, they kicked the field goal, it wouldn't have. Serve count. The, the Chiefs still had to convert a two-point conversion to tie the damn game. Right, but it was 28-28. I, I'm on your side. It I was like 28-20, going for the and they had to go for two to tie the game. Right, it was 28-20. Or 21-13. Right, but they would have been two, they would have been two possessions behind had the Chargers kicked a field goal somewhere along the way. Not that the game plays out exactly the same way if you kick a field goal somewhere along the way. I'm saying they went for it five times. I would have been cool with them going for it You four can point times. to a field goal. I can point to not allowing you know, uh, oh, Sorensen to too. come in and knock down a pass on a, a, a fourth and goal that is wide open. Yeah, Sorensen was terrible for them for a long time, and all of a sudden he's now uh, in their well, defensive I mean, look, reemergence. It, he's a reasonably good player. It's all if, they, if he gets it, he's a genius. If he doesn't, he's an idiot. Whatever. The Chiefs went for a fourth and goal from the one and didn't get it. And you know, I'm not sitting here blasting the Chiefs because it was fourth and goal from the one. And the play was open. I don't know what happened on it. Mahomes skipped a rock on the outside yeah, on something that would have been a, a touchdown on that yeah. play. But, uh, yeah, I, look, I, I like new ways of thinking. I think he's done a really good job. I would have kicked a field goal, a fourth and goal from the five. I, I do think that there are times where you don't just go by whatever your algorithm tells you and whatever your model tells you. I think you go with your gut. Maybe his gut was telling him, go for it and go for the touchdown and not the field goal. And that's fine. Didn't work out because those three points would have been uh, would have been big last night. Chargers We've still, got a memo, by the way, from Roger Goodell. Chargers still out. fifth with eight wins. They have one, two, three, four, five teams. Well, four teams because two of them are playing each other that can catch them this weekend. Yeah, and in the memo from Goodell, just to summarize, they're moving these games, and he says, we're not moving them again. We're playing these. We're not moving them past the 20th. That's another sign that they're going to adjust their policy. Have to. Stop testing the asymptomatic and allow asymptomatic COVID positives right now to play moving forward. Otherwise, what changes? Well, and I think Outside the first the kickoff the first two paragraphs tell you that, and I think it's telling you what we've been saying about the Omicron variant not being dangerous. It says, from the outset of the coronavirus pandemic, our focus has been to play our games in a safe and responsible way, consistent with the best available medical and public health advice based on protocols jointly developed and implemented with the NFL Players Association. A key element of our success to date has been our commitment to working with our union and our respective medical experts to make needed adjustments. The emergence of the Omicron variant is precisely the kind of change that warrants a flexible response. Based on medical advice, we have instituted additional protocols as well as revised testing protocols for reinstating players and staff who have tested positive. We have also considered whether certain games should be rescheduled in light of current conditions. That tells me that they're going to continue uh, to develop these in a way that they're going to have guys eligible because the emergence of the Omicron variant, if you're looking at the science behind it and what we know, it's not dangerous. So why keep players from playing that are vaccinated, that are testing positive for this Omicron variant? And that's going to stop happening. That's the way I take it. Well, there's another quote, uh, Roger Goodell, quote, our expectation that these games will be played at the rescheduled times and will not be moved to a later date or time during the week of December 20th. If that's true, then you're adjusting your protocols Monday to allow the teams that have been moved to play. Because as of today, going into the weekend, they continue to add players in COVID protocol. They're not removing players. There's no one being added to rosters from from lists that have been uh, imported to the to the league, um, like Baker Mayfield two days ago. So 
adjust it or yeah, the you'll be wrong change again. is that it can't be the only adjustment. Otherwise, it doesn't necessarily fix the issue at hand. So here would be my big question if and when these change on Monday and if they go towards a model of not testing vaccinated asymptomatic players regardless. Do other leagues follow suit? Yes, that, Do the, they will. Does the NFL continue to be the leader and they're going to get out in front of this and now all of a sudden all these NHL problems that we're seeing go away because, well, the NFL did it first. Well, the NHL Now we can follow suit. Yeah, but the NHL has Canada to deal with. It's a completely different the, animal. The NHL is 98% vaccinated, but you're right. They might have to have a Canadian champion and American champion if Canada doesn't get with it. Well, they, they just have international borders for travel purposes that they have to overcome that the NFL well, doesn't have to do. Yeah. They may have to have two separate leagues and let the Canadian teams play each other and the American teams play each other and have a champion of each country this year. It's not going to be very exciting for the Canadian arm of it because it's not big enough. Right. You know, they're, they're limiting fans to 50% capacity or zero uh, capacity in Montreal, I believe. Well, I don't think things in Canada are very fun regardless right now. <laughs> Right, whatever they're doing. I mean, but you well, have teams. It you is have, winter. You know, I mentioned what the Capitals did. They had, they stayed in Chicago after a game instead of traveling to the city of Winnipeg so that they didn't get stuck there trying to get out. back. You don't want to be there for a day. Yeah, because Carolina. That's what happened to Carolina. Carolina's owner had to pay an extra one hundred thousand dollars to travel back uh, players, asymptomatic players across the border, um, traveled them uh, across the border, and then I believe they picked them up in Detroit. Flew them uh, to uh, another location, picked up other players that were waiting for them there, and then flew back to Charlotte. Fun time. Or Raleigh, excuse me. Flew back to Raleigh. So all, all, all just because, all, Yes, all just trying to get the teams back together in, in Raleigh as they go into shutdown mode, which uh, in the NHL, the Avs, Flames, and Panthers... Ten days uh, off. They've been shut down for 10 days, and there are probably more coming because Carolina, the Hurricanes, are also a part of this. Now, during that shutdown, I wonder if they're working out together. Like, is that outlawed? I, I would think you've got to be able to work out some. I don't know. But it's just, it's all bizarre right now. College basketball games are being uh, not just postponed, but canceled altogether. Rick, Rick Pitino's volunteering for any openings. On I any think there are, there are now 14 college basketball programs that are shut down in some capacity because of COVID. Adjust. It feels eerily like the, the NFL. Of the whole the thing. NFL's not afraid to adjust their policy. They they have to get they have to get on the same page with the NFLPA with leadership that's saying test us daily. If you do that, I'm, if you do that with asymptomatic vaccinated players, you're not going to have you're, you're going to have practice squads playing. It's harder and harder to figure that's out their rationale, playoff for positioning, with that. and everything. I, I think the the PA looks really stubborn at sticking with that while its membership is largely asking for something else. And it's hard to figure out now. Uh, look, NFL's evolving as this thing evolves, maybe slowly, uh, and, and maybe they're not finished. Hopefully they're not finished. It's harder and harder to figure out what the PA is doing, and it doesn't look like it's evolving. It, it looks like it's being stubborn. But uh, final point on this, I, I, I just can't – I don't understand the common sense element of testing the Cleveland Browns players after they're in the facility meeting and a after they practice together for a day and then testing them at the end of their work day. What difference does it make? Like, Well, I mean, testing them at the end of that work day is, amounts to testing them the next morning. It's the same test. 
Yeah, but they, right. but they they showed up to test and the negotiations that we talked about yesterday, they didn't want it. Oh, so they and they the NFLPA was telling them to, them to test. The it, it, and then then you've got Baker Mayfield who's blasting the NFL for for testing randomly, which again it's his just tweet all, was very unclear. He he could be uh, he's the probably the most powerful player voice in all of this. He didn't do a great job yesterday of making his clear. In his he, original it was clear tweet, he was but upset. His, but it wasn't clear what he was upset about. He could have done a better well, job uh, as a messenger. Well, he sent out, this is his last tweet. Tell me if this makes sense. No test this morning. Meaning like what is routine. Right. We tested in the morning. No test this morning. Then let our team gather for practice. Then show up after practice to test them. Something seems off here. That, that's much more clear than what he was complaining about yesterday. Hell, you were you you resisted reading it because it was confusing, and well, then and I then, read it and got us confused. Well, yesterday. We, we read it, and then we had um, we had Florio who reached out and asked about these three teams and the three teams that were under extra protocol is, is what he's talking about with the three tests, the three random teams testing. Still, they need to adjust over the weekend and come into next week with week sixteen and figure out how they're going to play these games because right now. You, you can't go about just moving certain games around and making it work, especially on reduced weeks where the Browns will play on Saturday of next week after playing on Tuesday. Or excuse and the me, Raiders on are not happy. Mark Davis talked to uh, Paul Gutierrez of ESPN out there and basically said, now we're, we're, we've got a short week on the other side. Nobody did us any favors last year when our offensive line all had COVID and nobody talked about moving anything. And uh, we're being punished here. You know, it would be fair. Have Cleveland come out and play us here. Yeah, send us to, send us to Vegas. Some players would love that to get out of Cleveland. Yeah, yeah. Go to Vegas. Hey, coming I, up. I got no symptoms up. and no reluctance to play blackjack. Bobby Carpenter of Outkick joins us. We're going to talk college football headlines, quarterback movement, plenty of transfers announcing where they're going in the Power Fives. That's next on Outkick 360. Outkick 360 rolls on. Bowl season underway. Kicking off today with uh, MTSU beating Toledo in the Bahamas Bowl. It all leads up to the national championship. And we've got Bobby Carpenter with us on Outkick 360 as we broadcast live from 6th and Peabody. Bobby, hope you're doing well, man. I'm doing great, you know, and sitting there watching uh, that Toledo-Middle Tennessee State game. You know, in the Bahamas Bowl, I mean, if you're not going to be in the college football playoff or maybe even in one of the New Year's Day six bowls, I think the Bahamas Bowl is, is really where you want to stake your claim, getting a chance to go down to the Caribbean. That turf looked amazing. Get a chance <laughs> to check out some of the surf. Like, I don't know what else you could really want. Not, not a bad uh, situation if you're just six and six looking for a reason to have a little mini vacation, right? Uh, not, not so bad. You can read uh, Bobby's work. Uh, and I watch him on YouTube through the Outkick channel, the college football channel that we have. You can also read him at Outkick.com. How difficult is it, Bobby, to figure out these bowl games when you have all the players opting out and for, for business reasons, getting ready for the combine, getting ready for the NFL draft? Uh, we discussed earlier Michigan State and Pitt. What looked great on paper is not that great with Pickett uh, and, and with, with everyone else opting out here. Uh, just your general thoughts on trying to pinpoint and preview games this time of year compared to maybe when you played. Well, it's, it's tough to bet these games because you have no idea, you know, first of all, what team, like their motivation showing up. And so 
I think you have to look at this. And, and I thought Michigan State and Pitt, like you mentioned, Kenny Pickett for Pitt, you know, is, is opting out. And, you know, he's been a guy that's been a multi-year starter there. He's a culture guy, a program guy. And he had a great year. And he, frankly, Michigan State secondary has been terrible all year. So, you know, if you're looking for a little boost going into the draft, like you would have to think your final game against a secondary that's been shredded a lot. You go out there and throw for 400 yards and five touchdowns. Like that's not going to hurt you. Plus the quarterback position is like a leadership position. So I didn't think that we would really probably see this from quarterbacks, you know, especially probably not at this point, but you mentioned him being out Kenneth Walker, the third from Michigan state, who I think finished sixth in the Heisman trophy voting. Like he's out. And so there's just so many questions. Like, I don't know how you handicap this game because both of the teams lost like their, their featured player in this and looking around. I mean, this is happening at a bunch of other schools as well. It's not just unique to these two, uh, but trying to understand like the motivation, do the teams really want to be there? Like, you know, if they missed out on the playoff and they're sitting there somewhere between five and eight, it felt like maybe they got robbed or they're just disappointed because, you know, they lost the game they shouldn't have lost and didn't get in there. And you look at Ohio State playing Utah, it's in the Rose Bowl. Ohio State's about a touchdown favorite. You know, you have to try to figure this out. Utah is great at running the ball. Does Ohio State, are they really interested in being in this game? Like, that's something they've had. I think most of the players are going to play. There haven't been any opt-outs to my knowledge as of yet. But, like, you look at Utah. This is a team that, you know, won the Pac-12. They beat up on Oregon twice, and they've never been to the Rose Bowl before. And so there's probably a lot of players out on the West Coast that, in Utah that are really excited about that game. And so they're going to be juiced up and ready to go. And that's not giving Ohio State an out, but it's trying to determine, like, hey, how much do some of these teams ultimately want to be in these games? And that's going to you know, impact their preparation. And then also, you start looking at some of these games – you could, uh, I believe, the Fiesta Bowl with Oregon State or uh, Oklahoma State, rather, and Notre Dame. I mean, you know, you're going to have, you know, one team's missing a coordinator. The other team has a new head coach. There's games where some of these teams, neither head coach is, is currently at the program. They've got transition guys that are going to be there or the new head coach is in the waiting. And so trying to figure all this out is crazy. Now, with that being said, it doesn't mean I'm going to enjoy the games any less. It just means that, you know what, I'm probably not going to put any of my soft-earned <laughs> dollars on these games because that's a fool's errand at this point trying to figure out how they're going to operate. Chad, right. Chad, did he did he change your mind on Ohio State-Utah with that description? No, no. Ohio State's going to destroy Utah in this game. <laughs> I said it earlier, Bobby. I, I think they're not going to have any any problems. So much so that I, I'm shocked. I didn't have the Rose Bowl, which is a great bowl game, obviously. I didn't have it in my top ten of games I'm most interested in because I think Ohio State's going to handle them. So I'm on the opposite side of you with that. So set set aside that game. If I twist your arm and I ask you to give me one team that you really think will be invested and interested and one team that you think is probably already uh, thinking about spring break. um, Oh, goodness. This is why you make the big bucks. This is why we pulled all this money. (laughs) Exactly. So, you you know, everybody playing the playoff, they're obviously invested. I will say this. I think uh, especially – you know, I, I usually don't lean to teams that have had coaching changes, but if you look at Marcus Freeman's reception at Notre Dame and how the players were behind him, how they were polling for him, how they wanted him to have that job, then he ultimately gets it. He is going to be the head coach in the bowl game, and he's going to be their head coach next year. And so if the players you know, respect him that much and they wanted him to have that job, I would have to imagine that they're going to be locked in and ready to go. Like that's something that you would think 
that they're going to be, you know, kind of dialed in on and they, they should be going and fighting for their dude. Cause you, if you wanted him that bad, you would think at a national stage in a big time moment and for his first game that you're going to be fired up and, uh, and ready to play. And then I guess for teams that, you know, maybe don't necessarily, you know, want to be there or you think should be there. Oh, goodness. It, it's so hard to kind of look at this. I, I guess one team you would look at, and I, I guess you could even say another team that really wants to be there. Um, and I can't think of the name of the bowl for the life of me right now, but it's a, it's in uh, Tampa. It's at Raymond James Stadium. And you've got Florida taking on Gasparilla UCF. Bowl. Gasparilla <laughs> yes. Bowl. Yes, thank you. That I made my list. That. Ohio State, Utah did not, but that made that was number 10 well, on my top 10 list. Think, think about it. Now, Emory Jones, I guess, is going to play in the game, yep. but he's yep. going to enter the portal now afterwards. Out. And then he's out. And so I, I would think that he's going to be invested. But you're at a team, you know, without a coach that underachieved this year. You know, you've had a quarterback carousel. I mean, you know, last year, I mean, you know, you had Trask play, but it didn't seem like, you know, a bunch of other guys, everyone else pits and everyone else opted out. So it's kind of been a trend at that program. You know, Nate Pierce, it's not like he's there to really institute his culture yet. This isn't his team truly. And they're playing a team in UCF. And as anybody can attest to this, when you've got, you know, the big schools in your state, and, you know, they get to sit there and pound their chest and look at our logo, look at our emblem. We've got the biggest, you know, endowment. We've got all the money. We've got all the great stuff. All the girls love us. So, I mean, we're the premier school in our state. Then you've got UCF who's sitting there who a lot of these guys are from the state of Florida. They played in all-star games. They maybe played high school with some of these guys. And you know what? It's sold out. They said they sold 77,000 tickets to this. Wow. Don't think for a second that those guys at UCF aren't thinking this is our chance to own the Gators for a year. Forget about everything else that's happening. Who knows when they'll even play again? I haven't looked at the future schedules. But think about this. You could own the Florida Gators if you're Central Florida. So their players are going to be gassed up. I don't know about the Florida Gators. I'm inclined to think that they're probably not going to be really all that hyped up, and they should be unless you are interested in losing to UCF. But that's another game right there where you look at the two teams and it seems like you know, one team, they're going to have a high degree of motivation. They're eight and four, and you know they have a chance to win nine games. And then you have Florida who's sitting there barely squeaking in, who got their coach fired. And it's like, well, what are we really here for? Oh, we're playing UCF. We'll handle them. Well, not so fast because I think they'll be fired up and ready to go. Yeah, it's it's definitely UCF Super Bowl in this Gasparilla Bowl game. I, I'm with you on that. Um, let's stay in the state of Florida with a, a story that's getting a lot of play in the state of Florida. Travis Hunter, number one recruit in the nation, spurns Florida State where he's been recruited for two years or he's been committed for close to two years to sign with Deion Sanders in Jackson State. What's your reaction to this story, Bobby? And do you think like me that for Mike Norvell, this feels like when you combine that weird one year added to his contract extension announced before uh, the, the day before this and then this happening, this feels like step number one in him being on his way out at Florida State, losing the number one player in America to a Florida State alum who's coaching in the FCS level. Okay, so let's let's put all that, put a pin in that for just a second because everything you said is very true and everything you said works really against Mike Norvell. Hunter leaving, going to uh, Jackson State with Dion, the, the esteemed alum. We'll get to that in a second. Now, just take for a, a second here. Um, where Florida State's been, and the recruiting class came in 13th. And so if Hunter wouldn't have ever been committed 
and they finished 13th in the country. You know, I think they were second in the ACC, did a really good job, looked very right behind North Carolina. I think Mike Norvell, there might be some momentum for him. And you would have to say, hey, he's putting himself in a pretty good spot and things look to be on the up and up for the Knowles. Sitting there 13, yeah, you'd like to be in the top 10, but they're right on the outside, second in the ACC. Heck, you beat Clemson. You feel pretty good about that. You're just behind North Carolina. And so that could have been the story, but you had Hunter committed. Heck, he probably puts that class well into the top 10. And then all of a sudden, he decommits and... I mean, it'd been one thing if he goes to Bama. It'd been something else. You know, he goes to Georgia, but he goes, you know, to an FCS program, Jackson State, Deion Sanders, and I, I mean, this had to be the gut punch of all gut punches. If you're Florida State and if you're a Seminoles fan, because this is your guy, this is one of your esteemed alums. Who you know, there's people that probably think he should be the head coach, and and make no mistake about it. You know, I don't think Dion got an interview when they hired Mike uh, Norvell when they hired Norvell. And so when they brought in him, I think that there was this element where, hey, you know what? You shouldn't have passed over me. You should have at least gave me a shot at, at the at to sitting at the table to see what I can go and, and show you what I can do. And so I'm going to go do it. Jackson State's had a heck of a year. They've made a nice run. They've won a ton of games. And now all of a sudden you're getting 100 if you're Dion, Like, I would have to say that he's the odds-on favorite to be the next coach at Florida State unless Norvell's able to turn this thing around and find a way to win eight or nine games next year. Now, like I said, he has the recruiting base. They're 13. They did a pretty good job. But he's going to have to really win games next season to get this Deion Sanders heat off his back. Bobby Carpenter with us from OutKick. Tell me the, the quarterback movement that moves the needle most for you. Max Johnson from LSU to A&M. Dylan Gabriel headed to UCLA with Chip Kelly. Adrian Martinez uh, going to Kansas State uh, from Nebraska. Are you still waiting to see what happens with Bo Nix and can Lane Kiffin land Bo Nix at at Ole Miss? See, Bo Nix, there's been good Bo Nix. There's been bad Bo Nix. For him leaving Auburn, I think it's a little bit um, like Martinez leaving Nebraska. I think that there was probably a conversation that was had and I, I don't know this any inside at Auburn. I think that this did happen in Nebraska. I'm fairly confident where, hey, you might be competing for your job in the spring. You know, you've done some really good things here. You've started for a long time, but we've got to get better. and We've got to find a way to get over the hump. And, you know, when you've been bad, you've been really bad. And so I'm not saying you're not going to be the starter, but you might be, you're not the, you know, guaranteed that role and you're going to compete for it. And so those two guys, like, I don't think they really moved the needle all that much. I mean, you can make an argument that, you know, I mean, would Auburn have beaten Alabama if Bo Nix was the quarterback? Would they have even have been in that position? I don't know. You know, it's it's a great question. I mean, heaven forbid Auburn won that game and you're Bo Nix. Like, that's one of the biggest wins for Auburn. And all of a sudden, you're not really there to celebrate. And so, or you're not part of it, I guess, as yeah. much. And so those two guys really don't uh, move it for me. I would have to say the big one is Max Johnson leaving. And even Miles Brennan, who also was in the portal, returning to LSU. So, you know, Brian Kelly at least gets a veteran quarterback on his roster. You know, that may have been his biggest recruiting coup that's not going to show up in the rankings is getting a guy to stay and ultimately solidifying that position with a little bit of veteran experience. And, you know, it's not like Brennan's the best quarterback ever, but he has started in road environments in the SEC. He's been a veteran presence. He's a guy who will understand it. Chip Kelly or Brian Kelly is notoriously hard on quarterbacks. And so you would think he'd be a little more apt to handle that. But, but it has to be Max Johnson. You look at his numbers this year, he was pretty good despite the turmoil that's been swirling around 
LSU. He's got a really talented brother. That's a whole package deal. And I may be a little biased. I played with their dad, Brad, in uh, Dallas. And I think that he those guys are really, really, really good players. And I'm surprised he transferred within the SEC. I, I think Brad told me he thought he'd never send him to the SEC and never let him play for a defensive coach. Well, he broke the one rule twice and broke the other rule once. So you know, they're, they're heading out there now to play for Jimbo. And uh, we'll see what happens. But I, I, from what I saw from Max Johnson this year, like I think he has the capability of being a pretty darn good quarterback. And you, know, you watch him play some of these some of these teams that had good defenses. You know, he came out you know, he was unflappable. You know, played really really well. And he's a young dude, and he's only going to get better. So for me, I know it's a crowded room at Texas A&M. <laughs> They've got guy, other guys coming in. They've got you know, talented uh, quarterbacks there getting guys back from injury. It's going to be a, a very interesting spring, but I guarantee you he, they wouldn't have went there unless they felt like they've got a realistic shot. And for Max already having some starting experience, I think that was the biggest move of all of these quarterbacks that are spinning locations. Under the Radar game kicks off at 10 o'clock Central tomorrow morning on ESPN. Western Kentucky and App State. The over-under is at 68 right now. Like um, we love a nice 10 a.m. kickoff. Buckle up early a.m. tomorrow morning. Uh, that's the Boca Raton Bowl. So the, the privilege of that, that it's not the Bahamas Bowl, but it is Boca. Uh, Kiffin did coach at Florida Atlantic for a reason. He was in Boca. And now you get Western Kentucky and App State there, too. It's, uh, it's a prime spot, uh, no matter if it's 10 o'clock in the morning or not, Bobby. Oh, oh yeah. Boca, it's a beautiful place to be. I mean, I actually saw Lane when he was coaching down there. Uh, cruising around. I was down in Boca one time. You know, his daughters, they were eating. That's whatever hotel I was staying at, you know, cruising around. I mean, and, and honestly, I love Lane's time when he was down at Florida Atlantic. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen that. I mean, he delivered one of the greatest like PSA hype speeches that you're going to find, you know, to their alumni there. And if you guys search it up on the internet, you can find it on YouTube. I mean, the guy looked like, cause we've all been there where you've you know played a round of golf all day, you know probably had some drinks afterwards, get home late, you know, you fall asleep and then the next day you get woken up and realize like, oh man, I I, I was supposed to go to like some breakfast with someone, like drive there. <laughs> like he's sunburnt, he has a shirt on that's like kind of wrinkly. He's got like a sweaty gloss on his face and he's just trying to deliver this about trying to get the Owl Nation fired up to buy some season tickets. And there's no enthusiasm in his voice. Oh, I've, I've, I know point, what you're talking about now. It's so great. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they had to bed in like these birds chirping underneath. Like <laughs> he's in a state. Like there's no birds around you. It sounds like he's at some sort of aviary or something. Like, <laughs> like what, what is going on? And the best part of it is their AD at the time, uh, Pat Chun, who's now the AD at Washington State. He was at Ohio State for a long time. I text him about it and he's like, believe me, we had a hard time even wanting to send that thing out. Like <laughs> just because it's all we had, we had to do something to help promote the season tickets. So I love the Boca Raton Bowl, Western Kentucky, the Hilltoppers and Bowling Green, Kentucky, man, App State, like that's going to be under the radar game. I, mean, yeah. I love App State, the Hilltoppers, another, another school that um, I've got some friends that have played there in the past. So Boca Raton, there's worse places to spend, you know, a Saturday morning in December. Get to see Zap at quarterback who can throw it all over the place. Uh, Bobby, appreciate you, man. Thanks. Always great having Thanks, you Bobby. on. Great stuff. And hey. uh, next week, let's start to look ahead towards these now these semifinal games because I know that you think we're going to have two solid matchups. I think they're going to be better games than people think. It, and I, I do believe this. I think Bama ultimately will beat Cincinnati. But listen, I 
14 points, that's a that's a big number. And if you if you want to maybe steal some steal some cash, I think throwing a little on the Bearcats. I don't think that Saban will be able to get this thing stretched if you look at how good their secondary is and how good their defensive front is. They'll, they'll be able to make this a game. And uh, Fick's not going to take this thing lying down. And then we'll see Georgia-Michigan, who's tougher. That game's going to be a slugfest and an old-school throwback. So should be two good ones. We can talk about them next week, guys. Follow him on Twitter for more at BCARP3. Bobby, thank you. Have a great weekend. Thanks. Hey, thank you, guys. Enjoy it. Bobby Carpenter there. Read his work at OutKick.com. I should move that bowl game immediately into the slot vacated by the, uh, yes, the NFL game. By the way, the YouTube video of Lane Kiffin, uh, the title of it that has millions of views, Lane Kiffin appears less than enthused in FAU promotional video. <laughs> we'll Read watch during the break. Accurate title. Yo, so do you know what Boca Raton means in Spanish? It's something rat, right? The- yeah, rat's mouth. Rat's mouth. Yeah. Sounds like a lovely place. Yeah, but it actually is. It, uh, <laughs> it's very nice. It is very nice. The old the old crab inn down there. Uh, the best key lime pie I've ever had. Oh, and that's saying something because you've he said he is a global key lime pie I, uh, expert. He, he knows all of them, not slices. Key lime pie. Pie I actually had uh, <laughs> one for dessert the night, and then I bought another one to take with me for and breakfast? ate it for breakfast the next is morning. Is that the epic seafood excursion as no, well? No, that was oh. actually in uh, that was in uh, Baton Rouge. That was in Red Stick, <laughs> oh, not Rat's bad. Mouth, <laughs> which means a red baton. More right? coming on Outkick three sixty. Hang with us. Now, Kick 360 rolls on. I'm going to try to do quick math here. As of right now, the Rams have 29 players on their COVID-19 reserve Holy list. Hell. Washington, have they added other players today? Let I think me they added quickly look today, here. Yes, they three. did. They added two. So Washington is up to 23 players on their COVID list. The Browns added one, two, three, four, seven. So the Browns are up to 28 players on the COVID-19 reserve list. Who is it, 29? The Rams? The Rams. I bring up the Rams, Washington, the Browns, if you're just joining us. You're on your way home and about to enjoy the weekend. You wanted two games tomorrow. There's only one. Only one. Colts and Patriots, which we can't wait for. Paul has a theory on this. We're going to get to that in just a second. But the Browns-Raiders game has been moved to Monday night. Washington and Philly has been moved to Tuesday same goes for Rams and Seahawks. Those games will be played in a doubleheader on Tuesday. Kickoff time's not official yet, however. I mean, that's 55% of the Rams roster if you're going with the 53-man roster. Well, they had 25 yesterday uh, yesterday evening, and they added four more today. So, and to my knowledge, no one has been elevated off the COVID-19 reserve list there today. So... Now, that's not counting their 16 that they have access to right. in their practice squad. But, uh, I mean, that's outrageous. By the way, just just for just more detail on the list, the Bears have 12, Texans have 8, and the Dolphins and Vikings both have 6 on the COVID list. The Titans have 1, yep. to my knowledge. One, I, think, two. I believe so. We're going to preview 1 and 1 on the practice We're going to preview Titans and Steelers in detail coming up in uh, roughly 5 minutes. Give me your theory, though, on the Colts-Patriots. Everyone's picking the Colts. Yeah, I think people are too hot for the Colts. Um, I, I, I can't think of one like breakdown of the game that I've seen or one, one prominent person making a pick who's gone with New England. And this has been brewing not for a week but for two weeks because the bye for both teams yeah, have been in right. there. Uh, I, I think people are – it's just so overwhelmingly on the Colts. I'm going Patriots. If Patriots win – the Titans just need to beat the Steelers. And they've been sitting pretty. They they guarantee themselves champions of the AFC South for 2021. 
If, if the Colts lose and the Titans win this weekend, then the Titans will know that result prior to their kickoff on Sunday. And if the Colts win, the Titans with a win would be the number one overall seed in the AFC. Has a team done less to deserve our love than the Colts, yet they still get the love from everyone? That's a great it's question. a really good question. Things to ponder during the break. Yeah. That's something to delve into in more detail, too, if they win this weekend. Where do the Titans hold a clear advantage over Pittsburgh? The answer is next on OutKick 360. Uh, Jacob has the uh, a logo for this, and I'll, I'll describe for our radio listeners as well um, an image. So yesterday I brought up that the the NFL had received bids from teams. Yeah, I can't for, believe for this Denver news. <laughs> marketing. So th- there is a map up that he'll zoom in on. And so the, these are teams through the NFL that they have been granted the rights to market their team in countries ac- across the globe. And I'm just fascinated by this because – the Rams are uh, won the bid for China. That, that, that is outrageous. They won the bid for Australia. In Canada, the Minnesota Vikings and Seattle Seahawks will market their teams in that country. In Mexico, I mean, there is just a uh, Mexico is where the money is. Go up. That's where the money is because Arizona, yes. Dallas, wow. Denver, Houston, Kansas City, Vegas, L.A., Pittsburgh, and San Francisco all won the rights to market their franchises in the country of Mexico, in Brazil, Miami. I, I'm just I'm fascinated by the teams and where they chose to go. Spain, uh, the Chicago Bears and Miami Dolphins in Spain. That, I'm that's just the, fascinated that's the odd one at to me. teams that are not on this list. Why would you not try? I, I, we don't know everything here, right? So we, the story's incomplete. I need to... To ask Albert Breer questions. said that that what the, what they're bidding on is the right to the the marketing rights for to to market their teams in these countries and a chance to build fan bases in these countries. So I think you're being cheap and not having foresight. If you're not on this list, why wouldn't you try to market in China? <laughs> why are you leaving the Rams to get a head start on marketing in China? That's it, crazy. I know. Germany. 50 years well, from what? now, the Rams planted the first flag in China? <laughs> Carolina, Kansas City, New England, and Tampa Bay won the rights for Germany, which McLean told us yesterday is a hotbed for the NFL. But the... the, the uh, I mean, has what, anybody what turned down for anything are, they applied for? I, I want to know I every know. That's team that's question. not on this list. The Titans won. I'd have to look at it completely to see who's, the who's Colts, left off. I don't think are on there. I'm thinking AFC South. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Jacksonville's on there in, Yeah, in Jacksonville's in, uh, in in the UK for good reason. Yeah, but, I um, mean that one makes perfect sense. It's already started. Right. But anybody nope, else Tampa Bay's Tampa Bay's in Germany. Yeah, anybody who's not on here, why aren't you on here? And the first thing that comes to mind is you you've got to be cheap and not have marketing foresight. Why? Why the do Saints they, maybe not on there? Help me also? with why they why every team can't market their anyway. franchise across the globe. Like I again, like I'm. Yeah. What am I missing on this bidding? I don't know. We need to find a guest on this. I, if I'll, you wanted to I'll go and spend money to market somewhere else that's not your native land, I, I don't understand what would stop you. 